Well, I've been sharing with you on the subject matter maturity in prayer, and I said to you at the start that I've got 18 differences between the mature prayer warrior and the immature prayer warrior. And I'm going to start from point number 14, and I'm going to run through to point number 18 today. Let's get going. Number 14 is the immature praying person sees prayer as an optional extra. The immature praying person sees prayer as an optional extra. Something you do after you've tried everything else. You know when people say, just try Jesus. Or let's just try praying. Just give it a shot. Give it a go. And let's see what happens. The person who's mature in prayer, they go to God first. The person who's mature in prayer, prayer is a must do. The person who's mature in prayer is devoted to prayer. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, sometimes we talk like this as Christians and we talk about being devoted to prayer. But how many of you know what that word devoted actually means? Let's have a look. It says in Colossians 4 verse 2. Colossians 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. There's a whole revelation there. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What does that word devote mean? When a husband shares his vows with his wife, what does he say when they're getting married? We had lots of weddings this year. Amen. What do they say? They commit to be devoted to them. Can you be devoted to someone if you're doing stuff with someone else? I didn't hear a big amen. Can you be devoted to someone if you're flirting with other people? Now what happens is many people talk about being devoted to prayer, but they're messing around with other stuff. They've got other sources. Now God can use many things. God uses doctors, amen? God uses teachers. But we know that it's God who's the ultimate source and he's using whomever he chooses to use. But he's our source and it's to him we put our trust in, amen? Now what is interesting here is if you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. And what does it say with regards to prayer? Be, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Amen. Now when I think of faithfulness, it has something to do with relationship, hasn't it? What does unfaithfulness look like? You see, faithfulness sounds to me like something you're married to. How many of you are married to prayer? faithful in prayer how do we become unfaithful in prayer we look at other sources we look to other things as our source some translations actually say constant in prayer or persistent in prayer now this is interesting because the word faithful or the word devoted literally means to attend to constantly to attend to constantly. If someone is always at a prayer meeting, it means they're devoted to that prayer meeting. It means that when they have an appointment with the Lord Jesus, they always pitch up. 
The word devoted to or faithful means to attend to something constantly. And as I was meditating on this, the Lord began to speak to me. Because if you look in scripture, Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30, extremely powerful. We are f- we're familiar with this scripture. It, God is speaking and he says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. That's an intercessor, amen? I'm mean, you know that God is looking for intercessors. But what happened? On behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. Could it be the same today that God is looking for someone who's attending to prayer constantly? So that when he comes and he's looking, he finds that person in their post, on their post. So that destruction doesn't come. And could it be that sometimes he looks and he finds no one? And I began to ponder on this and I wondered, what does it look like for God to find no one? And I realized that sometimes he finds lots of people in prayer meetings, but he's finding no one. He finds lots of people praying, but he's finding no one. Because just because you're praying doesn't mean that you're available to stand in the gap. Because he's looking for someone because he's got an agenda. So he's looking for praying people, praying intercessors who are willing to carry his burden. You see, you can be doing lots of praying but not available to carry his burden. You can be doing lots of praying but praying the wrong stuff. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I went back to a particular nation in about 1999 and I remember thinking God why is this nation still in this place why is it in a place of destruction when there's so many prayer meetings and God spoke to me clearly and said they're praying but they're not praying properly they're not praying aright and he began to teach me from the year 2000 onwards he began to teach me about how how you pray to get results how you pray so that your prayers have impact is everyone listening this morning I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall. He was looking for someone who would build up the wall. He wasn't looking for religious people. He wasn't looking for people who were saying a lot of who were saying a lot of words to him. He was looking for someone who was available to build up the wall. I believe right now in this season God is looking for those who are devoted in prayer but who are willing to pray what is on his heart. Amen. You see, when God says, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap, he's doing it at a particular time. It's not just this constant thing where he's just looking. He's doing it at a particular time because he's got an agenda. So I might be at prayer on Tuesday. I might be at prayer at Ignite, which is important, which is really great. But what happens if on Thursday night at 12 midnight, God is looking for someone to stand in the gap? And he finds no one. Is it because people aren't going to prayer meetings? No, maybe they're going to prayer meetings. But when he is looking for someone, there's no one. Be constant in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Be faithful in prayer. In other words, attend to it constantly. Be continuously available to be a mouthpiece for God when it comes to intercession.
Everyone get that? I believe that that's the time we're in right now. Devoted to prayer. Number 15. The immature praying person. Remember when we talk about immaturity in prayer, we're not saying the person is not praying. They're praying, but they're immature. They're praying, but they're ineffective in their prayer. They're praying, but they're religious. I knew I would get an amen from my friend Eugene over there. Whenever I mention the word religion, I know I'm guaranteed an amen from Eugene because he hates religion, and so do I. It's not about religion, it's about relationship with Jesus. Amen? Number 15, the immature praying person, their prayers are not spirit-led. Their prayers are not led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes their prayers are from the flesh. You see, God wants to take us to a place in prayer where our prayers are not limited to our natural knowledge. Please hear me this morning. Many people are praying, but their prayers are limited to their natural knowledge. My question to you is, do you know everything that is on God's agenda right now for the nation? Are you aware and have you done a diagnosis spiritually of all the issues that are affecting our nation right now? Have you gone to the root cause? Because you see, if we don't have that supernatural insta insight from the Holy Spirit, we will be limited to what we know in the natural. And you know what? Our prayers will be of some value because in the natural we can see, oh, there's a lot of crime. Let's pray for crime. But when your prayer is spirit-led, you begin to understand the root cause of crime. You begin to understand the root cause of why this nation is where it's at. You see, when you pray based on your own intellect, you will pray and you'll say, oh God, please, can you work on our economy? Oh Lord, please bring peace to our nation. Because that's your understanding at that particular level. But when the Holy Spirit takes over, please say to the person next to you, when the Holy Spirit takes over, you pray power-packed prayers. Sometimes people struggle to pray for a long time because they're only relying on their own intellect. Have you noticed that when you sit in prayer and you're only praying based on what you know in the natural, you can't really pray for that long, can you? It's kind of like, and then this and this, okay, I'm done. That guy is walking up and down and still praying so many things. I'm done. Then you start feeling guilty. Then you start feeling condemned. Then you start feeling like, am I a real Christian? How come these guys have got all sorts of stuff to pray and they seem to have lots of energy to pray? But I'm here and I'm just like, I'm done. Right? But how many of you have ever had that experience where the Holy Spirit takes over? Let's look at this in Scripture. You see, because the mature praying person partners with the Holy Spirit in prayer. I don't know about you, but I want to pray what's on God's heart. The Holy Spirit prays what's on Jesus' agenda. The Bible tells us that Jesus is making intercession for us. That's the same thing that the Holy Spirit is praying. That's what I want to be praying because that's prayer that gets results. Now watch this. Romans 8, verse 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit does not help you in your strength. Please hear what I'm saying this morning. The Spirit does not help you in your strength. The Spirit helps you in weakness. 
That's why one of the keys to praying spirit-led prayers is brokenness. That's why Paul the Apostle says, in weakness, my strength is made perfect. Too many Christians are coming to God in strength. Please hear me this morning. Too many Christians are coming to God in their own strength. And what they do is they short circuit the power of the Spirit to help them to pray. Did you get that? All right. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The problem with a lot of Christians today is they can't be weak before God. Let us enter, therefore, boldly the throne of self-righteousness, the throne of my power, the throne of my intellectual capability. No, the throne of grace, where we may find what? Mercy. That word mercy is a powerful word. When it's used in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. It's a covenant word. It's a word that is based on what God is doing for me, not on what I'm doing for him. It's a very strong covenant word. Let us enter boldly the throne of grace where we may find mercy. Who's looking for mercy here today? Right? Mercy implies weakness on your part. Grace implies unmerited favor. In other words, you don't deserve it. So the moment you enter the throne of grace with the mindset of, I deserve this, I've done this, I've done that, and I've done this, you won't find grace, my friend. You will not find grace. You won't find mercy. You only find it when you recognize that I'm going into this thing and it's unmerited. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we ought to pray. How many of you go into prayer with a mindset of, I've got this. And then you pray prayers and you look at your neighbor and you're like, top that. <laughs> top that, guys. And then you get annoyed when people pray after you because you kind of feel, but I've covered everything. Why are you repeating the prayer I've already prayed? <laughs> Come on now, are you feeling me? It happens in prayer meetings, doesn't it? All right? But here it says, for we do not know how we ought to pray. I'm sharing with you a key to unlocking the power of the Holy Spirit in your prayer life. You come in weakness. You come recognizing that you actually don't know what to pray for and how to pray. But he's the one who has to enable you. And the moment you do that, you shift gears in your prayer. And now you are flooded by the power of the Spirit enabling you to pray. Because you begin to pray from another place. Ladies and gentlemen, you begin to pray from another place. Now watch this. He goes on to say, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Now tell me something. When, you, when you're groaning now, when you're now groaning, does it look nice? Does it look cute? So the person who's, in, who's mature in prayer is open to the Holy Spirit interceding in and through him and not looking cute. And this thing of church circles where we all like... <laughs> What are my stilettos like? Oh, is my mascara? Pastor, have I, is there any mascara? 
God doesn't care about that stuff. You groan. Then watch this. It says, with groans that are too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to according to the will of God. We spoke about the will of God last week. How do you ensure that your prayers are in line with the will of God? Pray Spirit-led prayers. Amen. Now, many people struggle with regards to praying God's will. That's why it's useful to pray in the Spirit and to also pray Spirit-led prayers. Praying in the Spirit is not just praying in tongues. There's praying in tongues where you know you're praying mysteries unto God, the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, right? But there's praying Spirit-led prayers where you can still be praying in English or groaning But the thing that you're articulating, you know that it hasn't come from your own mind. One of those keys is learning to yield to him. Amen. Isn't God good? You see, here's the thing. God, by his spirit, his spirit is called the Holy Spirit. Why? The word holy means set apart, set apart. So if he is the set apart spirit, how do I ensure that this set apart spirit, who's other, the otherness of God, he's set apart, he's distinct. How do I ensure that he's now praying through me? I must be yielded. I must also be set apart. I must also be in that dimension where I'm saying, I'm letting go of all that stuff and I'm now yielded to you, Holy Spirit. Number 16. The immature praying person doesn't come to God expecting anything great. They come with the same old, same old. This happens in religion, doesn't it? Same old, same old. You just come praying the same old prayers. No expectation. You just come and it's just this habit. No expectation. The mature praying believer comes with an attitude where you're expecting to receive more than you can imagine. And you see, saints, it doesn't just happen when we are praying. It's an attitude we have in life. When you start off your day, I'll ask you a question. What are you expecting? When you come to church on a Sunday morning, what are you expecting? I asked my wife that question this morning. I said, my love, what are you expecting today? Amen? You know that very often when I start off my day, I'm thanking God and I'm saying, Lord, thank you that today I'm going to be meeting Influential people will take my career to its next level. And guess what? I'm always bumping into that. Someone once said, what you think about and what you think about is what you eventually bring about. That's the power of gratitude. Amen? What are you expecting? You know that expectation is at the core of hope. The Bible describes God as the God of all hope. 
the God of all hope. I'm telling you right now, one of the strategies of the enemy against people in this church right now in this season is to rob you of your hope. How many of you know that you cannot have faith without hope? The Bible says that our faith is the substance of things things that we're hoping for. What is hope? Hope is joyful expectation. How do you come to God in prayer? The mature praying person comes with joyful expectation that he's going to get more than he can ask for or imagine. The mature praying person has this as a life attitude. They go through their day with joyful expectation. And you know what one of the big killers of hope is? The spirit of discouragement. And I'm telling you right now, for many of you in this church, right now in this season, there's a spirit of discouragement that want, that's wants to come against you. To rob you of hope. How many of you know that joy, the joy that you experience, is linked to hope? If you look in scripture, you'll see that hope and joy work together. You can't be a joyful person without hope. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. It says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you arbitrary, average, mediocre things. No. And tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The Lord spoke to me the other day and he was just like, Hey, I've got all knowledge. Talking about himself. And he was saying to me, What do you want to know? Imagine that you're about to go to a client and you're like, what's going on in this organization? And God just says to you, what do you want to know? I know all things. That is scriptural. Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. What does he say the key is? Just ask. Just ask. Very often God only speaks to you in response to a question. You see, he doesn't just go and blab out to everyone who isn't even interested. How many of you know that, how many of you know that God follows his own instructions? Do you remember how he, he says in scripture, do not throw pearls to swine. He doesn't do so himself. He doesn't just take his wonderful treasures and impart all sorts of knowledge and wisdom to people who haven't even asked him, to people who aren't even interested. Could it be that your lack of knowledge, your ignorance of spiritual things right now is because you're not asking? Are you hearing me? I was speaking to a friend of mine who was asking me questions about a job that he wants and he was trying to suss out like, is it this? Is it that? What exactly is it? And I said, you know what? If you want to work for such and such a company, you can actually ask God. Say, Lord, reveal to me if there's anything hidden about this company I want to work for. Amen? My friends, God will speak to you. God will speak to you. When you look at this scripture here, does it sound like God is playing hide and seek with man and doesn't want to tell us stuff? Doesn't want to tell us his rich treasures? No. Call to me, guys, and I'll answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. It's almost like he can't wait to tell us. It's almost like he works by this code where he's just saying, all I need you to do is to holler. All I need you to do is to just call. All I need you to do is to just give me a tinkle. I'm thinking of an old song, but you guys won't know it because it's from back in the day, so I won't go into it. Ah. 
I don't want to date myself today, you know? <laughs> You'd be like, oh, Paul, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> I'll tell my wife later. Now watch this. Watch this. In Ephesians 3, 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do mediocre average things as he usually does, uh-uh, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Many times we think his power is just operating somewhere else, right? According to his power that is at work within us, he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask for or imagine. So what's the key here? We need to be asking and we need to be imagining. When last did you imagine? When last did you visualize what God has in store for you? The key is imagine and listen and ask in prayer. What do you expect from God? How big is your God? In Hebrews 11, it says that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It doesn't say he's a rewarder of those who seek him, my friends. It says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does it mean to diligently seek God's face? We're going to talk about that just now. But just keep that in mind. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's such a comforting scripture in Hebrews 11. It shows me that if I am diligently seeking God's face, I'll get my reward. I will get my reward. My question to you is, how audacious are your prayers? How bold are your prayers? How big are your prayers? What things do you pray about? Use your imagination and stretch yourself in prayer. Some of you should be praying about different things. You know, there's the person who prays, Lord, please, can the, can the taxi come my way so I don't have to walk that far to get to the bus stop? Instead of praying for your own car. I'm, I like Masha's attitude. I was driving with the, the, the bringer to church this morning. And she was, we're talking about next year and what is she going to do? What does she want? And she was just like, yeah, man, so I need a car. I want a car. So I can do this. I travel here. Blah, blah, blah. I want to work here and do this and so on. I'm using the car example because many people can identify with it. What do you believe in God for? Some of you have got a mental block. You've got a very fixed view about yourself. If you study the science of success, you'll see that successful people have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. What is a growth mindset? A growth mindset is, it doesn't matter whether I was born on the wrong side of the railway track, raised by a single mom, I can be successful in life. That's the growth mentality. The fixed mindset is the mindset that says, people like me, Paul, <coughs> Paul, you say to the person, where do you want to be in the next 10 years? What are you praying for? What are you believing God for? I don't know, Paul. I've just got my boys. And we're just at this level. People like me, Paul? Uh-uh, we don't. And you sabotage your own future. My friends, what prayers are you praying? How audacious are your prayers? 
What are you believing God for? Are you believing God just to survive your marriage? Or are you believing God for marital bliss? Why not? Sometimes we let other people become our standards in our marriages and in our parenting. Ah, no, but at least we don't fight. Have you seen those people? I met a lady recently who spoke about her ex-husband and she said he actually was cheating on me with someone else and the way he tried to get out of our marriage, Paul, he tried to kill me, literally. Paul, he, he, strangled, he tried to strangle me with a towel. So it's easy to say, hey, at least some people, there's some people who are going through really hard times. At least we don't fight, but are you talking? What are you believing God for? How audacious are your prayers? Are you saying, I oh, know we've got kids, this is normal, so, you know, let's just, let's just, let's just rest on our laurels. It's fine, this is life. Life is difficult, so let's settle. I'm speaking to some of you who've begun to settle. How audacious are your prayers? Lord, please just give me a good job in my industry. Just a good one, Lord. That's all I'm asking for. You see, I'm so humble, Lord. I don't ask you for a lot. But from God's perspective, dude, you lack faith. You don't trust me. You don't think I'm a big God. That's how God sees it. But you're like, can you see? When you're false humility. Lord, I'm not asking for much. All I ask is just a decent job in my industry. And God is like, dude, you're limiting me. How many of you are sometimes insulted by your kids? Insulted by your kids because of their requests. Because their requests are too small. I'm going to say it again. How many of you are sometimes insulted by your kids because their requests are too small? You see, many of us, we believe in God that our kids' requests will be small. And then they grow up seeing God that way. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how kids start out and they've got such amazing faith. Mom, we want to live in such and such a place. We tell them, it's too expensive, my son. Do you understand how money works? Let me explain to you how money works. Do you understand? Do you understand what people earn? Right? And this child has just got faith. And after a few years, they realize that people like us from our family, we are settlers. We settle. We're not like those people over there. No, we settle. And as their lives go on, their prayers shrink. Their prayers become smaller and smaller, tinier and tinier, until they're those people where they're just saying, Lord, just that, just a slightly better job, only slightly, Lord in my industry not even another industry in this industry lord maybe a promotion even in two years time please lord and god is saying do you know that you can do everything that these guys in your current company are doing do you know that my purpose for your life is to actually start your own business in this industry because you've been faithful with that which belongs to another now i'm giving you your own so that you can finance the kingdom do you know that that's my purpose for you now you're coming and your prayers are so puny The mature praying person 
is expecting to receive more than they can imagine. Are your marriage prayers limited to survival? Are your church growth prayers generally limited? For those of you, because I know not everyone does, for those of you who pray for this church, I'm not talking about in prayer meetings when you're forced to pray for the church. For those of you who pray for this church in your closet, what prayers do you pray for this church? Do you pray that revival breaks out? Do you pray that next year we multiply and we start three more churches, four more churches, five more churches? What do you pray? How big are your prayers? Do you pray that all our wonderful stuff, our wonderful resources go global? Do you know that in about the first year of this church starting, my material business God's way. People saw it on our website, people from South America. And they said, please, 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 can you come and teach business God's way in South America? Can you come and we can do a conference? Can you come? So the quality of what's here, we all know, should be global. But it's not yet. We could have gone South America that time. We weren't in that space. Are you hearing me this morning? Do you have a vision for that? Do you have a vision to start businesses that are kingdom financing businesses? Amen? A lot of people don't understand that it's when, when you're a New Testament, New Covenant giver, it goes beyond the tithe. It goes beyond the tithe. You become a kingdom financier who's saying this line of business, God will speak to you. This line of business or this particular client, all the revenue that comes from there, I'm financing that kingdom project there. It might be GOP. It might be another church plant. Are you hearing me? And it's amazing what God starts doing with those type of people. Living beyond yourself. Number 17. This is the second last one. Number 17. The immature praying person. Remember, these are praying people. They pray. They're in your prayer meeting. They are there. Some of them are the loudest. The immature praying person has a disconnect between their praying and their watching. There's a disconnect between their praying and their and their watching. Please don't let the enemy rob you of what I'm saying this morning. The mature praying person mixes prayer with watching. Are you getting this this morning? 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7 it says here the end of all things is near therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray some translations say watch it says be watchful be watchful what does it mean to be watchful be alert that's what it means so that you may pray so you cannot pray effectively if you're not alert if you're not watching because you pray what you watch are you following so a lot of christians are doing a lot of praying but there's no watching it's like a security guard who's supposed to be a watchman who's supposed to be watching and then he's calling he's using his radio control you know those old radio control 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 but he's saying the wrong thing because he's not linking the watching with the warning or the message are you hearing me there are a lot of Christians today who are prophesying 
things that are not on God's current agenda. How many of you know that? How does the prophetic work? Well, one of the functions of the prophetic is forthtelling, speaking out that which is on God's heart and mind. Not what was on God's heart and mind three years ago. So some people make these declarations, thus says the Lord, and they're very scriptural, but they're for 2010. They're not for 2017 or 2016. Are you hearing me? But you only get that revelation when you are watching. And when we are watching in the spirit, we're not just watching out for the enemy and the devil stuff. There are different dimensions to watching. Number one, you are watching what God is doing. What is God doing? What is God actually doing? What's on his agenda? So you're alert about that. But secondly, you're also watching for the enemy's strategy. How many of you that wherever God has got a strategy, very often the enemy has also got a strategy? My question to you this morning is, are you watching over your family? Are you watching over your church? Are you watching over your business? Are you aware of God's strategy for your family, business, church? And are you aware of the enemy's strategy? You see, when we're aware of the enemy's strategy, we're able to pray effectively about it. Amen? Very often when people watch and then they see the enemy's strategy, they make the mistake of prophesying the enemy's strategy. Instead of understanding that God wants you to get into intercessory mode and stand in the gap so that the destruction doesn't come. Think about South Africa. There were all these prophecies, right? Before 1994 of the bloodbath in this nation. Right? And then the saints rose up and they prayed. They prayed. And the bloodbath didn't happen. And people said, oh no, those prophecies were wrong. The prophecies weren't wrong. The purpose of those prophecies, it was watchmen who were watching and they saw the enemy's agenda and the church rose up and did something about it. Amen? All right. So be careful of prophesying and decreeing the enemy's strategy. Some people got that. The mature praying person mixes prayer with watching. They mix prayer with watching. Pray prayers over your children. God, show me. Show me. What's the enemy's strategy against them? Oh, it's this. Then it shows you how do I discipline them? How do I warn them? Sometimes God gives you dreams and people make the mistake. They're now terrified because of the dream. No, you're a watchman. God is giving you that dream so you can pray so the thing doesn't happen. Amen? When you get prophetic words about this is happening, that's happening, don't be frightened about it. See it as a gift. The prophetic is a gift so that we can do something about it. Amen. Now, to view yourself soberly, because here scripture says, view yourself soberly. Be alert and sober. What does it mean to view yourself soberly? It means to have an accurate view of yourself. When someone is not sober, when someone is drunk, what happens? They're overconfident, aren't they? They begin to say things they should not say. They begin to go after women they shouldn't go after. Are you hearing me? You know, you have this guy, I'm sure some of you have experienced that at your work functions and so on. This guy who's shy and timid and so on, not that great looking, right? I'm just saying, let's be honest, not that great looking. All of a sudden, it starts hitting on you. Come on, ladies. And you're like, dude, where do you get this confidence from? He's intoxicated. That's what. He's intoxicated. When someone is intoxicated, they're bold. Amen. They've got a higher view of themselves than they ought. 
The opposite of viewing yourself soberly is being conceited. What does conceit mean? It's when you've got a higher estimation of yourself than you ought. Have you noticed that many people are like that? And the Bible is basically saying, if you're going to pray effectively, you must have a sober view of yourself. Can you see how these principles are tied in with each other? Because if I've got a sober view of myself and my situation, I'm like, you know what? Even though I'm a Christian, the enemy could mess up my marriage. Even though I'm a Christian, I haven't got it all together and my children could end up being rebellious. That's the thing that enables me to pray. Amen? View yourselves soberly and be alert. Now, what's interesting here, if we go a little bit deeper, if we go a little bit deeper, we see that there are stages to developing the watchman mentality. Number one, find out and Fadzai did a wonderful prayer meeting the one time and she she asked us this question what's the domain that God has given you to watch over what's the domain God has given you to watch over it doesn't say be a watchman over the whole world we are the guardians of the whole earth that might excite your kids right but God has given you a domain to watch over. Do you know that the Bible, when it talks about bishops, overseers, it says the bishops over your souls. There are certain people who've been given delegated authority by the Lord to watch over your soul. When you become a member of a church, when you say, I'm yielding to your leadership, part of our responsibility is to watch over your soul. Amen? So I have to ask myself, what are the domains God has given me to watch over? And you know how you sometimes know? Ask yourself, when you get prophetic senses, when you get prophetic dreams, when you get prophetic words, are they geared toward a particular domain? I've noticed that when I counsel couples, very often God literally allows me to read their mail. You guys know that term, reading your mail. Okay, where the Lord shows you things about some, uh, someone or some people. Some of the things you don't even tell them because you can't. And it emerges and you're like, yes, that's what the Lord was saying. So I know that one of the areas God has made me a watchman over is over marriages. I know that. Amen. Does God give you a lot of prophetic words about certain groups of people, but then somehow you just don't get anything about something else? Maybe that's an indication. Perhaps that's an indication that he's called you to be a watchman over that group. Amen? You see, whenever God calls you to do something, he gives you the resources. He gifts you accordingly. Amen? There are times when I'm doing work for particular clients or particular organizations and all of a sudden I'm just seeing things in the spirit concerning them. And the Lord has challenged me that, Paul, don't just go in as a consultant. Go in as a watchman. Go in as one who will warn people. I remember situations where they end up remembering. I remember one guy who's now an MD of a particular place. And I remember him saying to me, Paul, remember, some time back, you are the one who said this and this will happen. And that this person is like this and this. Now we've seen it taking place. This is an unsaved person, but he's remembering what I had said. Amen? What has God made you a watchman over? Because to the degree to which you are faithful as a watchman, he gives you supernatural resources to be effective in that domain. Are you hearing me this morning? Oh, and by the way, there's some things that are given. If you've got children, automatically by default, you're a watchman over them. 
okay? You can say, I know it's my husband's duty. He's the spiritual head. He might be the spiritual head, but you play a very key role in overseeing. Amen? Come on now. Organizations have presidents, vice presidents, vice vice presidents, MDs, deputy, director of this and this and that. You've got a function. Don't give it all over to your husband. Say, he's the spiritual head, so he must be the one. Yes, he must lead the process and he must take up his post, but focus on your post. Amen? Many people, even in churches, they complain about other people's posts and this one isn't taking up his post. The pastors, no, they're not really taking up their posts. While, while they're saying that and criticizing, they're not in their posts. They're not on their posts. Every single person in a local church has a post. Please point a finger. This is the only time. I don't, I'm not into the thing of pointing fingers. I think it's rude, but I'm just giving you permission. Point to the person next to you and say, you have a post. Some of you are enjoying that. Just don't make it a habit. You know that they did that with Bill Clinton? Like he used to have a, a habit of pointing like this when he would speak and so on. And uh, the people who were coaching him in terms of communication then got him to actually turn his finger like this. No, I did not have. Like I did not. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, moving right along. Right? The moral of the story is don't point fingers. Right? <laughs> So you mix prayer with watching. Now, so the first thing is, what's your domain to watch? What's your domain to watch? One of the ways you know what your domain is, God gives you supernatural compassion for certain groups of people. Don't leave it to just compassion. Be a watchman over those people. Amen? The second thing is diagnosis. When you grow as a watchman, you have to be making some kind of diagnosis. It's interesting how when there's a burglary, what happens? Guys come and they do the whole fingerprint thing. They, if, even if, if it's a security guard, what do they do? They scan the environment first. They do a diagnosis. Nehemiah with the wall, what did he first do? He went and he analyzed the ruins. He didn't just say, okay, it's building time now. We're rebuilding. No, he analyzed. He looked at it. Have you done a spiritual diagnosis of your domain? Have you done a spiritual diagnosis of your family? What are the issues? What's going on? What is the enemy's strategy? Are there any demonic spirits or demonic entities involved? Can you pick that up in the spirit? Yes, your son might be 10 years of age right now, but what is the enemy's assignment against him when he turns 13? Yes, you might be running a business or leading in an organization right now, but what's the enemy's strategy for when you have increased your influence. How many of you know that it happens even with pastors, with churches, where the enemy waits until you've got quite a bit of influence, then you're relaxed. And then he allows, yes, it's cool, the Lord has promoted you, but the demons that you face in three years' time aren't exactly the same demons you face today. They're stronger. That's why I always say, better men than us have fallen. Better men than us have fallen. Sometimes you look at some men of God and they fall into sin and this happens, that happens, and we assume that, oh no, maybe they weren't praying enough. Maybe, no, maybe they were, but they've been promoted with great influence and they, uh, the demonic assignments against them are far bigger than what you and me are experiencing right now. Yeah. Are you hearing me? Yeah. 
God wants to take us to new levels, but he wants us to have the spiritual stature and stamina to handle the new level. And what I found more and more is that it happens even in the workplace. You see, God hasn't got this divide between the sacred and the secular. I've seen people go to new levels in their organizations and have to face stronger demonic entities. But they just think, ah, it's my intellect. Ah, it's because, you know, I dress nicely, I talk nicely. Uh Uh-uh. Especially those of you dealing with ancient organizations. What do I mean by ancient organizations? I'm talking about institutions. It could be government institutions that have been there for years. I'm telling you the type of spirits you're dealing with there, not the same. Not the same. That's why if you notice, those of you who go from company to company, like myself, you can go into one organization. It's like a breath of fresh air. Everything is easy. It's like the spirit is just fine. It's cool. It's a buzz. It's a new entrepreneurial organization. Then you go to some municipality somewhere, municipality somewhere. You go to some organization that has been there for a long time. My friends, you're dealing with ancient things and you need the spiritual stature to deal with that. Amen? We must be watching. We must be watching. So what is the first dimension of a watchman? What's your domain to watch? Figure that out. The second is diagnosis. What are the root issues? Have you noticed that very often in a family, there's just one or two root issues. When I work with couples, they'll tell me there's this and this and this and this and this. And they're just giving many examples of the same root thing. Are you hearing? Don't think that you've got many issues with your husband. Don't think that you've got many issues with your wife. Very often when it comes to root cause, it's just one or two things. And if you deal with that, you've dealt with everything else. That's why the Bible talks about dealing with a strong man. Dealing with a strong man. The demonic entity that has its little children. Are you following? All right. So number one, what's your domain to watch? Number two, diagnosis. Okay, what have I been assigned to uproot? Jeremiah was told by God, I want you to uproot and tear down. He had to figure out what should I uproot and when. The third is listen. Watchmen, listen to the Lord. You have to have the listening skills. The fourth is warn the people. Warn the people. When you're watching, very often there's a warning. And the fifth is create a new culture. That's the building and the planting. You create a new culture. You don't build by just preaching at a problem. Are you following? If there's an issue in your family, it's about creating a new culture. That's the building and that's the planting. Amen. Then finally, number 18. The immature praying person is impatient in God's presence. Don't let the enemy rob you of what I'm about to say. This is very powerful. Sometimes when I'm preaching, when anyone is preaching a message that the saints need to hear, that's timely. I'm telling you, even in a church setting, you'll find all of a sudden you're flooded by all sorts of other thoughts. You'll find that you were cheering people last night till late as you watched soccer and you could do it for two hours. Some of you who do marathon soccer matches, six hours just watching soccer and you're alert. Then you come to church and you sleep. That's the spirit of slumber. And every individual is responsible to rebuke that from their lives. Because the enemy wants to rob you from this. Amen. All right. Number 18. They're impatient in God's presence. This is the microwave mentality. 
I'm talking about people who are immature prayers. Everything is instant. It's the fast food Christian. The fast food Christian. I was so impressed. One time I was traveling from KZN. I'd been doing a workshop there and I was driving back to Gauteng. And I remember being in a situation where I went to Steers and I wanted to get myself something to eat and I was so impressed with the speed. They should pay me for actually saying this. I was so impressed with their speed because I get there and I say, can I have, I think it was a chicken burger, chicken cheese burger or something like that. Right? I pay for it. I'm on my way going to sit down to wait. I just take a few steps and they're calling me back. Come and get your burger. Okay? That's fast food. And when we get used to that, what happens? We apply it to our Christianity, don't we? And everything is microwave. Everything is, it must be the fastest, Lord. God, you must do this like yesterday. How many of you know that patience is a virtue? Patience is a what? virtue and when the bible says be constant in prayer be persistent in prayer it says that because very often we want to give up because we haven't seen the breakthrough in the natural even though the breakthrough has already happened in the spirit then we disqualify ourselves from translating it from the spirit to the natural because of our attitude can i explain that again very often what happens in prayer is we're praying and like daniel what does Michael say to him? Hey, I've been, I heard you from the first day you started praying. That's what the archangel Michael says, right? But look, I've been dealing with the prince of Persia, the principality over that area, right? But I've heard you and I've been dealing with him, right? Could it be that maybe you struggle with waiting on the Lord? Could it be that you want instant everything and God has already heard your prayer, but because you can't see what's happening in the spirit realm, you get discouraged and you begin to be bitter towards the Lord. And your bitterness is what stops things from manifesting from the spirit realm to the natural. I think it is. Psalm 106 verse 13 to 15. This is what happens when people don't wait on the Lord. It says here, they quickly forget what he had done. They quickly forget what he had done. That word in the original forget, it literally is speaking of neglecting. It's not just, oh, I forgot. It's speaking of not even paying attention to almost being indifferent to what he's done in the past we forget and it says here they quickly forget what he had done they did not wait for his instructions so the one who's immature and is not waiting on the lord they're not waiting for his instructions part of waiting involves waiting for god's instructions in the wilderness they had an insatiable craving for meat when you don't wait on the Lord, it causes you to crave other things. I'm going to say it again. When you don't wait on the Lord, it causes you to crave other things. Be very careful what you're craving. Be very careful what you're craving because you might get it. You might get it. Watch this. It says they had an insatiable craving for meat. They challenged God in the desert. When your craving is insatiable, like a pregnant woman. You know when a woman is pregnant, sometimes, what does she do? 
at 12 midnight she can say to her husband go and get and there'll be some obscure thing that she wants to eat when you crave something and you're so desperate for it you begin to challenge you begin to expect everyone to just do it including god you don't care because you want that need to be met you'll do anything they challenged god in the desert verse 15 he granted their request i shared with you the other week that sometimes god can give you what you're demanding but you might not want it after all he granted their request then struck them with a disease very often in the old testament when it says god did this bad thing or god struck them with the disease is the divine passive tense it basically could read god allowed this to happen to them amen we know that god is good and only good comes from him so when you don't wait on the lord it's characterized by forgetting being oblivious to his mighty deeds it then means you crave something else could it be that the cravings you have right now are because you haven't waited on the lord you begin to challenge god you become defiant why haven't you done this maybe you've been believing god for a spouse and it's just not happening and you begin to challenge god because you're craving you haven't learned to be single and content i mean that if you want to be a wonderful wife one day to someone if you want to be a wonderful husband to someone now i've got your attention you have to be single and content first otherwise you'll have problems in the marriage if you're looking for someone to fill up holes in yourself amen so you begin to challenge god and then you end up diseased that's the pattern the person who's the mature praying person they've learned to wait on the lord they've learned to wait on the lord and here's the scary thing saints about waiting on the lord waiting the common denominator of any type of waiting it involves the passing of time it involves the passing of time that one we can't avoid i can go into the hebrew i can go into the greek but the one constant about waiting it involves the passing of time and that's what we struggle with we live in the instant generation don't we why why were film companies camera companies kodak fujifilm why were they under pressure to transition into the digital camera world people couldn't wait <gasps> remember those days when we we're growing up oh those photos we took yeah no yeah they'll be developed in two weeks they'll be developed in a month and we will just wait <laughs> nowadays what happens you're there at your son's prize giving your wife is saying can i see can i see we want to see real time you take a photo of your kids or videos of your kids and what are they doing before you barely finish taking the photo they're pulling your hand down they want to check it out we live in the instant generation but waiting requires the passing off time now here's the thing there's a blessing to waiting how many feel that when you wait the glory comes jesus said to the disciples wait in galilee for the coming of the holy spirit when the holy spirit came there was revival breaking out amen isn't that powerful now watch this it says in psalms 130 verse 5 to 6 
Wait, this shows you that waiting and hope go hand in hand. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. How many of you know that if you're a night guard, I've never heard a night guard say, ah, being a night guard is easy. They wait for the morning. They long for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. My soul does wait. So waiting on the Lord is to do with hope. Waiting on the Lord is not a passive thing. In the Hebrew, one of the words is krava. And it literally means to intertwine yourself with. It speaks of a rope. You know when you've got ropes that end up with all those strands and they become very strong? It's about pressing into the Lord. It's about eagerly waiting on the Lord. There's an expectation associated with this type of waiting. It's not passive. You see, many Christians, they think they're waiting, but they're just passive. I will see in God's timing. And they sound very religious and spiritual, but that's not spiritual waiting. Spiritual waiting is mixed with hope and faith. Are you getting this this morning? What are you waiting on the Lord for? What are you waiting on the Lord for? Are you waiting on the Lord for breakthrough in your marriage? Don't just wait passively like we'll see in God's timing. But all in God's timing, pastor. And then you expect me to agree with you. No. I won't agree with statements that are unbiblical. Amen? Right? It's an eagerness. It's quava. You're intertwining yourself with God. You're pressing in deeper to God. Lamentations 3 verse 25. The Lord is good to those who? Those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. That implies that waiting has to do with seeking. And God is good to those who do so. Amen. Psalm 27 verse 13 to 14. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired. Right? Then he goes on to say, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I believe that this is one of the most powerful spiritual virtues. One of the most powerful spiritual virtues. And we don't teach it when we're discipling people, do we? How do you wait on the Lord? Right? Look at this in Psalm 37 verse 9. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will what? They will what? How many of you want to inherit the land? Wait on the Lord. The Bible says that the promises of the Lord, they come through faith and patience. The promises of the Lord don't just come through faith. They come through patience because often they manifest after waiting. Someone got that. Thank you. You see, the word kava, it means to endure, to be strong. It speaks of a thread on a rope, a twisting, so it's not passive. Acts 1 verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And it's interesting because the word that he uses there for waiting is perimeno. Perimeno. It literally means being steadfast despite the troubles around you. Peri means around. So it's about being steadfast, focused and fixed on God despite everything going on around. It's that type of waiting. Isn't that powerful? 
Waiting on the Lord is one of the main biblical exhortations. But it's also one of the most difficult. <laughs> what are you waiting on the Lord for? Are you waiting on the Lord for your spouse to change? Are you waiting on the Lord for a health situation? Are you waiting on the Lord for business breakthrough? What are you waiting on the Lord for? Do you know that one of the words for wait, to wait on the Lord, is the word damam. I'm not swearing. It's the word damam. It basically is to be still and to be silent. Not saying anything. You see, sometimes we short circuit what God wants to do in our lives because we talk too much. We talk too much. We're supposed to be silent before the Lord for that breakthrough and we begin to mumble. We begin to fret. You see, there are alternatives to waiting. One of the alternatives is fretting, mumbling. Amen.